This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Continuing our series in Luke, um, one of the major themes that we're highlighting in Luke is that uh, Jesus is not just for some people. Jesus is for everybody. Um, there's nobody that the call to be saved has not gone out to, um, depending on your status in life or your, your money, your uh, lack of money, um, that none of those things matter. And that's largely what we're highlighting tonight. The, the, t- the sermon has been titled, um, Jesus Favors the Faithful Poor. And uh, so do you, do you guys... Did you hear about the He Gets Us movement? Raise your hand if you've, you've seen the He Gets Us commercials. You watched the Super Bowl, you saw the commercials. The He Gets Us movement is, um, it's got issues. The thing is, it's, it's tagline, it's tagline of um, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. What it's suggesting is not accurate, what it's suggesting, um, although it's true, Jesus did not teach hate, he washed feet. Um, what it, the, the He Gets Us movement is driving forward is a progressive view that you can come to Jesus, you can keep your sin. That you can investigate Jesus, you know, and, and, and sort of just, just take his, his unconditional love, which is a highlight of theirs, The rest doesn't have to stick with you if you don't like it. It's trying to present Jesus in such a way that everyone is welcome to learn about him without being accountable. And to quote Pastor Ben, they're, they're trying to make Jesus relevant and palatable to non-believers. And this is not a movement trying to open the minds of our society toward belief in Jesus. It's, it's, it's bending Jesus to fit our society. It's doing a disservice to the gospel. What the He Gets Us movement is right, is right on is that anyone can come. It's not, it's not closed off to anybody, but it is utterly inclusive. But where it fails, where it's desperate, desperately wrong, is the belief that Jesus expects nothing and accepts everyone. What we discussed and what we will discuss tonight is that Jesus is accessible to anyone, but only accepting of some. Which sounds harsh, but we'll get into how beautiful it is. If you're taking notes, our three talking points are the gates are flung wide, the righteous are ushered in, the wicked are cast out. So be paying attention for those that come along soon. So if you're at Luke 6, 17 through 26, you can give me a big cheesy grin. I've got a, I've got a couple of eyes staring at me. Wonderful. We're going to read that. Luke 6, 17 through 26. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to him to hear and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits 
were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. It's a big passage. We're going to dial in on those first like three verses, 17, is it four verses? 17, 18, 19. Looking here at verse 17, we see like the, the, the closeness of Jesus. It says that he's with them twice. It says that he's standing on a level place with them. There is, there is this accessibility being put on stage. And then what's also super interesting, the, the people that he talks about here are coming from all over. You've got Jews, the religious people from Judea and from Jerusalem. You've also got people that are Gentiles, non-believing people from the surrounding seacoast areas. And you've also got the unclean, untouchable people that shouldn't even be in public, those who have diseases. Diseases like leprosy. Jesus made him accessible, made himself accessible to every person present. It was as if he stood in front of them and swung the gates of salvation wide open, saying, come on, all of you. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what religion you are. Let's talk. Everyone has access. But we've got to consider the reasons that some of these people are coming to Jesus. Because in the, in the passage, let's look at Verse um, 18 um, talks about the people and it says, these people who came near, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And then verse uh, 19, all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. I, I, I wonder if some of these people were kind of seeking him in a shallow way. Like, were they showing up just to get that healing? And it reminds me, like, we, we've all got, maybe, maybe we don't all have, maybe you're this person. Those friends who, like, are only around just because they want something from you. Like, maybe you have a really great pool or a really great game room at your house, and they just come over to play games, or they just come over to swim. It's like, okay, once we're, once we're done swimming, it's like, man, I really got to go. Or once we're done playing games, it's like, I'm out of here. Um, I've, I've got friends who, um, who I, I feel like sometimes just want to come over and shoot guns. Because uh, we don't get the cops called on us where we, where we live. We, we can just shoot, and uh, it doesn't matter. So my house has kind of been turned into an unofficial gun range. And, uh, and it's like, are you, really, are you coming here just to shoot guns? What's going on? No, but uh, I, I love my friends. I know, I know they don't just show up to shoot guns, and that they love me, I think. And, uh, but, but you get what I'm saying. You get that there are, there are those people who, who are just there because they want something. And I think these people are sort of on display in this passage. It is the same with the crowds. 
Jesus has made himself accessible, but what are people's reasons for coming to him? Like, that's what's going to be vastly important. The people in this text wanted something from him. Verse 19 says they were just seeking to touch him, seeking to get healing. They were shallow. It shows a lack of faith. And I wonder, do you think like them sometimes? Do you think that maybe Jesus is, is just something for you to add to your life on top of, you know, what you're going to do, your career, your college, um, your popularity, your friends in school, whatever it is that you enjoy? And maybe is Jesus just a means to those ends? Or is he just icing on that cake? If all the reasons for why you need Jesus pertain to the here and now, if they pertain to status, wealth, health, happiness, image, then you don't get Jesus. You think he gets you. You don't get him. The gates have been flung open for all to come, but, it's, but it seems that the shallow, the faithless people will not be ushered in. They're coming for the wrong reason. This begs the question, who will be ushered in? And we see in the next chunk of verses, it's the righteous that are ushered, that are ushered in. Luke, 26, uh, sorry, Luke 6, 20 through 23. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I'm sorry, I skipped. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. When, when Jesus blessed the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, he's communicating that, that level of, um, of care and compassion that he has for people of all, um, for people of all positions on society's totem pole. He's saying, poor, the poor people in that time were rejected. Are you, are you hungry? Are you starving? Are you homeless? Rejected people. Are you hated? Rejected people. He's communicating, all of you have access to me, should you want it. But not only that, that's Luke's theme that he's really, really trying to push. But on a deeper level, Jesus is communicating that there is, a, there is a faith and heart behind this, behind poverty, behind hunger, behind um, mourning, behind being hated. Um, because ultimately, being, being poor isn't necessarily righteous. Um, I mean, Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 26, a slack hand causes poverty. Laziness causes poverty. That's not righteous. Jesus is not saying, hey, if you're poor, you know, maybe because you slacked off your entire life and never got a job, you're going to get the kingdom. Not what's going on here. And he's also not saying that for those who are mourning because they did something horrible and then they, <laughs> they should be mourning. Hitler was probably a really sad guy at some point whenever he realized, I'm losing this fight. We're not advocating that those kind of people are going to be blessed. So, so what is he what is he trying to say? What Luke's communicating is that the true 
faithful, that true faithful discipleship is willing to suffer poverty, hunger, sorrow, and hatred for Christ's sake. Um, I think of Matthew 16, 24. Jesus told his disciples, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's that. It's Jesus suffered, so I am willing to suffer. I am willing to be poor. I am willing to lose a meal. I am willing to mourn, if it's mourning that, that the situation um, advocates it. Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's, it's Christ having the supreme place in your life over anything else. That's faith. That's getting access to his kingdom. Disciples of Jesus are willing to lose all for the sake of what matters most. Jesus is everything to the faithful disciple, and to them, Jesus is worth suffering for. Um, an interesting story here. On August 22nd, 1851, a 71-year-old man. In 1851, if you're 71 years old, you are doing good. Like, they did not have the health systems that we have now. Like, he's nearing the end of his life here. 71-year-old man named Daniel Rush showed the same kind of sacrificial devotion. Daniel was falling on hard times. Him and his wife, they were people who weaved cottons and silks and things like that for money. And um, they made a very, very modest living to begin with. But things were, things were tough, and they were making next to nothing. Um, it got to the point where you know, they, were, they weren't able to really provide for themselves, to feed themselves. And so they, they go to the Catholic church nearby, who ordinarily would provide for the poor, and they say, can, can you help us? And instead of helping them, instead of feeding them, they say, you know what? You guys look like you can you know, maybe do some work. Go to the poor house um, where you can work for money, um, doing things, you know, various things for other poor people. And, uh, and yeah, you provide for yourselves that way. But we're not going to give you anything otherwise. And so Daniel writes a letter to a lawyer saying, please help us because this is unfair. And uh, he writes this, he says, I've applied to the parish of St. Matthew's Bethnal Green, and they will not relieve me without my going to the poorhouse. And, he went on, and we went on Tuesday, the 19th, and they insisted on separating me from my wife, which I have had 49 years, or turn us out. And sooner than we would be separated, we would perish for want. He's saying they're going to make us work, separate from each other, at the age that we are. I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. I'll, I'll starve before I leave my wife. Much can be said about how bad that church is for having done that. But what should be highlighted here is, is Daniel's love for his wife. Is the fact that, that if, is it starving or losing, my, or, or losing connection with my wife at this age? I will gladly starve. And, and it's that, that that Jesus is looking for here. Is it 
choose the greatest career I can possibly have to make all the money or serve the kingdom, I'll gladly serve the kingdom. Are you ready to decide that with the time you have on earth, you will not allow anything to come between you and Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be one of the poor, hungry, mournful, hated Christians so that after this life you can be rich, full, joyous, and thought well of by God Almighty? Jesus has flung the gates wide open so that anyone can enter. But it's the true disciple that comes to the gate saying something like this. Lord, in my soul I know that I am penniless and I am in need of the riches of your grace. I am willing to be penniless for the sake of the gospel with hope that I will be rich in heaven. I choose to suffer lack of pleasures, even to starve if need be, so that I might please you in my devoted faith. I am cut to my heart because of my sin. I mourn the world's sin and I seek to bring the light of your gospel to it. Lord, I am willing to suffer hatred or even to be cut off from those I love for the sake of your gospel being proclaimed. How highly do you value the cost of discipleship? Because no, nothing says I have faith like showing that money is, not, is no item to you compared to generous giving. Nothing says I have faith like choosing to go without food for the sake of devoted prayer for unsaved classmates. When's the last time you missed a meal so that you could sit and pray and focus for the kingdom? Nothing says I have faith like mourning over your sin and the sins of others. That's too often we act like sin doesn't exist in our lives. How often do you actually weep over your sin? Because that, that's what faithful disciples will do. They recognize sin. They recognize what an offense and a separation that is from God, and it cuts them to their core. And nothing says I have faith like standing alone for Christ when all around you are those who do not love God and who hate you for representing him. You're, when you take this stand, you will experience that in school. <clears throat> you will experience friends who just you know, don't really want to hang out with you anymore. And they might not say why, but maybe it's because you got serious and they didn't. Are you willing to lose those friends? Suffering for Christ is rejecting the world. Choosing not to attend worldly celebrations why are you going to the parties you're going to? Choosing to leave behind worldly friends. Why are you hanging out with those people if they don't love the Lord when they're affecting you towards sin? Choosing to leave behind, uh, sorry, choosing to fast sometimes for devoted prayer for the lost. Choosing to be hated by those who exclude us for Jesus. Choosing not to pursue dating relationships that aren't fulfilling for the Lord, that aren't fulfilling for you choosing hour by hour to die to ourselves, to live for Christ alone. Remember Philippians 3.8. Remember, I, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing that Christ Jesus, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Guys, that's what we're going for here. We bear the loss of what we want gladly because nothing's better than Christ. 
All are invited to do the same. And Jesus has made the gates wide enough that anyone can enter. If we're to be ushered into the gate, we must be willing to suffer as Christ suffered and to prioritize Christ above the comforts of this life. But what about the wicked? Or what, what about the people who, who don't show that faith? The wicked are cast out. Look at the next few verses, 24 through 26. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation, your, your comfort. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The rich, satisfied, happy, well-liked people of that time were all the most popular. Everyone thought well of them. To have those things was to have status, but it made them arrogant. These were the same kind of people who would have assumed that Jesus would want them just because of their status. You think of the rich, rich young ruler who showed up to Jesus and was like, basically, I'm perfect. What does it take to get to heaven? You know? The, the self-assuming, that, that arrogance, it's brought on by what he had. And that's why Jesus told him, get rid of all you have. And then he went away sad. To say woe, like it says these four times, that's a curse upon whoever is being spoken to. Um, it's, it's not a happy term. Um, there, are, there is a whole section in Matthew where Jesus pronounces woes to the Pharisees, um, just railing against their hypocrisy. Not a good term to be spoken woe against. Um, and this isn't a super difficult passage to interpret here. It's, it's if you trust your riches now, they're all the comfort you'll ever get. If you indulge in the world now, you're gonna go hungry at the end of things. If you think life's, not just, life's just a joke, you will weep one day when you find out it's not. If you have the support of all the other sinful people in the world, then you're just like the false prophets of old. And I think it's that last woe that kind of summarizes what he's getting at with the rest. It's that last one is the one that holds probably the most weight. And I was reminded of Jezebel. Do you got Old Testament? Anybody know who Jezebel is? We got a few people who know Jezebel. Jezebel was an evil, wicked prophetess who incited evil and rebellion in the nation, who was leading them into all kinds of promiscuous sins. Um, she amassed a giant following, um, and she was pushed out of a window. At the end of her, um, her reign of sin, uh, it was prophesied against her um, that she would have a a terrible fall, literally and metaphorically, um, that she would be kicked off of her, um, her sinful throne. And it, it was honestly gruesome what was said that would happen and what did happen. I won't read it all. Just this verse sums it up more than it needs to be summed. Second Kings 9.35, speaking of her, she had just died, says, but when they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And she was pushed out of a window and eaten by animals. Woe to Jezebel. 
Do you want to be spoken well of by the same kind of people who spoke well of Jezebel? That's what, that's what that verse is communicating here. That's what the people who are woed against are being compared to. Money, food, laughter, and being liked are not sinful. But to prioritize these things now on earth for your own sake shows that you do not live by faith. You live by your stomach. You live according to the way of false prophets, not Jesus. Luke is showing us those who thought pleasure in this life was worth far more than suffering with Christ. It's a warning against those who would prioritize this life foolishly. These people trust in their wealth and their health, but they do not have faith in God. But don't misunderstand me. Just like the former things, like being poor is not necessarily righteous. Being rich is not necessarily evil. But it does make you want to trust your riches more than it makes you want to trust Jesus. And the same goes for being full. The same goes for being happy. The same thing goes for being well-liked. You get very, very tempted to put your trust in those things instead. Um, uh, imagine you're on an airplane. Anybody been on an airplane? I've only been on a few airplanes. Anyway, when you're on a plane, things are going mostly normal for most of the time. And if they start to go badly, like people freak out. The plane will shake a little bit and you see everybody go and they click their seatbelt. So imagine you're on a routine flight, maybe just from like New Orleans to Orlando or something like that. That's only like a couple hour flight, if that. And the plane starts to plummet. What's, 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 the, what's the cabin looking like in there? What's going on on the faces? What's going on with the children? Like people start to scream and freak out. Do they not? Is it, would it not be insanity if everybody continued sitting there, calm, cool, and collected, eating their Chex Mix and Cheez-Its, drinking the ginger ale for the little bit of nausea that they're experiencing as they plummet out of the sky? It's ridiculous. Imagine you're in your schoolroom, whatever, what's, what's your least favorite class? Math. math. Least favorite teacher? Don't say her name. Math, okay, fine. They walk out of the room, what's the whole class doing? A dance party, exactly. Like, it's, is it not an uproar? They walk out of the room, the principal walks into the room, the whole class goes, right? And it would be insanity for the whole class to continue their, their dance party? It is insanity to continue to prioritize life spoken against here. Tell me, tell me if this reminds you of you. Um, wait, I'm losing it. If this reminds you of you right now, you want to go to college, get a fancy degree, make lots of money. Make lots of money so that you can live comfortably uh, in a life where you don't lack much. Um, you don't want to lack much um, so that you can be happy and you know, laugh more, worry less. Along with all these, you, you gain success, rightfully, in your career because you're good at it, because you went to college for it. You're expecting 
not a parade for being good at your job, but maybe a pat on the back occasionally, a promotion, things like that. That's, that's the American dream. Have, have the money, live comfortably, be happy, get the pat on the back, be proud of yourself. You guys, it is insanity to continue to chase the American dream. If that's, if that's you, if you want to go to college now, just so that you can get the money and live the American dream, you're not wanting to live for Christ. The two are not, they, do, they, they just don't flow together. If you're going to prioritize your comfort, if you're going to prioritize your life, guys, it will be insanely difficult to prioritize Christ. You're all about to become adults. And if deception into wickedness is the path you intend to take, then let this sermon be a road sign saying, dead end ahead. All that there is in that lifestyle is to gain so much that you won't be able to fit through the gates of heaven. And you having deceived yourself will be cast out to meet the same fate as Jezebel and anyone else who stood against God. Again, I'm not speaking against making money. I'm not speaking against eating and being full. You shouldn't be starving yourself all the time or throwing out your money for no reason. But when you prioritize those things, Jesus hits the bottom of your priority list. Matthew 3, verse 12. It says, His winnowing fork, his pitchfork, is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor where all the wheat is. He will gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. And what Jesus is describing here is those of his disciples who are wheat, who are useful, who are good, who are faithful, and those who are chaff, who are the thing to be, the thing to be separated and burned. There will be a separation between the faithful and the unfaithful, and in which group you will be in is determined now. He gets us moving, has it wrong. They get it so wrong. They presented Jesus who is easy to handle because he doesn't require you to recognize you need him. He doesn't require you to present yourself as the needy, starving person that you truly are before you're saved. The truth is that more important than Jesus understanding us and Jesus getting where we're at in life is that we would understand Jesus and we would understand him well and we would understand his supremacy and that we would serve him because of how good he is. If you come to Jesus with a starving and penniless soul, he is faithful to take you in. He will sustain you and in heaven you will have his wealth, his food, his joy, and his honor. It's not joking, it's not exaggerating when it says that your reward will be great in heaven if you were hated here. And three short verses that, um, that provide comfort and clarity. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? Ravens don't have money. They're considered poor but they're fed well. They're taken care of by God. That's, that's the promise here. 
that you would be taken care of in that same way. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for, the, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's, it's, that, it's that care. Not all things will be good, but all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You might be poor. You might suffer things. You might even be hated. But it's all working for the good of those who love him. Not that it always is good, but he provides. In 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. He's faithful not only in this life, he's faithful to bring you to the next because of your faith. For those who are in Christ, we have the promises of provision from God not only for this life, but also to bring us to the next. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. This earth is not better, I promise. It's not better. Storing things up for yourself here is not better. and cannot compare to the day-to-day provision that God gives his people. Let this assurance empower you to trust in him alone and to be faithful, to be disciples who are willing to lay all things down for the kingdom. I love you, I love you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for these truths. Thank you for inviting all to be disciples. Lord, I pray that you would create disciples tonight. Lord, I pray that your hand would be on these people. God, influence them, convict them to prioritize you above all else. Lord, to not count the world as more valuable than you. We love you, Lord. We love your book. We love your truth. Thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus. Jesus.